Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. The 1980s brought us some great music, and our next guest embarked on his unforgettable journey as an NBC page during that same iconic era. He had the privilege of working alongside the late-night titan himself, Johnny Carson, during his timeless segment, Stump the Band. You'll hear why legendary opera tenor Luciano Pavarotti needed a little guidance to grasp the whole picture. Not only that, but our guest also had the honor of providing comforting advice to none other than Oprah Winfrey before her meteoric rise to stardom. And hear why Barry Manilow liked to do things behind closed doors. You'll learn why Jay Leno really was a true mensch and how NBC pages were enticed with bribes to gain access to David Letterman's West Coast appearance. Plus, you'll be fascinated by what it was like to work alongside industry giants Brandon Tartikoff and Grant Tinker, the president of NBC and CEO of NBC, respectively. And finally, hold your tongue, our guest reveals the fiery encounter of when an NBC executive unleashed some choice words on an unsuspecting caller. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the captivating Mr. Roger Hyman. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be here. How's it go, Roger? So you're you're calling from uh, the beautiful West Coast, beautiful downtown somewhere, Burbank. I don't yeah, know. Are you, are you no, I'm 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 actually I'm in the San Fernando Valley. So Burbank, Burbank is East San Fernando Valley. I'm Northwest San Fernando Valley. Okay, nice, very cool. So, uh, so yeah, thank you. Welcome to uh, a page in history, and uh, we're, we're thrilled to, to thrilled to have you be here. So, uh, yeah, so basically, you started in 1984. Is that correct? Yeah, back then, uh huh. Back, back yeah. then, those little kids, uh, those damn yeah, kids, get off right. my lawn. Um, so tell me about that. So tell me about when you first, you know, why did you become an NBC page in the first place, or how did you even hear about it? Because it seems you lived in, you you went to school in Beverly Hills, yes, and had a lot of stars in your school. Is that is that? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I I mean even elementary school. I mean I just. I, I, you know, I lived in Beverly Hills. So, um, you know, I, I went to school with, um, uh, with Kathy and Candy Silvers, Phil Silvers, uh, two kids, Milton Burrell's son, Billy Burrell, uh, Shirley Jones, who my family was very close to, very friendly with. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, I went to school with Sean, Patrick and Ryan. Uh, I was on the Columbia set almost every month uh, when Shirley was shooting the Partridge family. So, you know, for, for me, um, you know, like, like I, I told you it, 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 it was in my blood. It's just, you know, that's, that's, that's who I am. I mean, it, but, but I was, I wasn't like starstruck by it. Um, so then, you know, I went through high school and, and, uh, 
college with a psych psychology degree. Hey, that's really important. You can do a lot of stuff with a psychology. Degree. <laughs> I have a minor in psychology, actually, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, funny. it's funny. Just what Los Angeles needs is another shrink. Um, so, um, so you know, I I graduated college and I needed a job. I mean, so it's it's just a job. Uh, my mother, uh, God bless her soul, she uh, she had contacts. And so she made a, a couple of phone calls and I got an interview with the, the infamous Eva Hawkins. Uh, she was the, the manager of guest relations back then at NBC Burbank, uh, you know, going through the weekly phone calls of calling Karen Powers, because that was the routine is you had to call every week to like keep your name on the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And I just needed a job. And so after a year's time, I got the job. I started April 15th, tax day, 1984. Um, and the the one thing that that to this day bothers me is it was just a job. I didn't really have a, a goal in mind. I didn't really, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I just, it was a job. And I just, instead of being proactive about it, I just said, um, you know, let's just see where the chips fall. Mm. That was a mistake. There were there were two things that did happen that were extremely influential that I really should have listened to and done. One being I had some select friends of mine saying, hey, Roger, you got a great voice. You should go into voiceover. Oh. Well, <clears throat> so they put me in contact with this gentleman named David Sebastian Williams, who at the time was the voice of khj radio oh. 93 khj uh and he was all over the map he did a ton of stuff so i got in i got into one of his workshops and i did training and it really worked out i learned a lot then work got in the way family stuff and so that dropped off then i picked it up and i started studying with um nancy wolfson who today is like a mega coach She's done, I mean, she's worked everywhere. And, you know, so here I am trying trying to still get back in the business. So long story short, had had I listened to myself, I would have just, you know, towed the line and I'd be a gazillionaire now doing, you know, doing voiceover, but that didn't happen. Mm. Um, so in so, other words, so, so you... I guess because you lived in that area and because entertainment was in, it was sort of in the air, you were going to do, you know, I mean, you, and you had an interest in voiceover. It was natural. Right. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing was they had put in a brand, a brand new uh, broadcast news studio, studio 10. Mm. And as they were testing the equipment, cameras, prompters, you know, positioning, uh, you know, lighting, audio, they needed pages to test out the studio. Uh -huh. So they called me, which for me was like a bucket moment. You know, they put me, you know, KNBC4, new studio. They put me in Studio 10 behind the anchors, uh, behind the uh, the anchors desk with all the equipment. And, you know, I was reading the prompter. I was doing the news. And that was cool. Uh -huh. You know, and that was an aha moment that I should have said, hey, I, you know, I could be an anchor. Uh, cause I was, I was a news junkie. I knew all the news and, you know, I could have done journalism, which I did study in school and aced it. 
Um, so those were two aha moments that I just didn't take advantage of. Um, so, well, you so know, it's well, what if, it you, is. if you studied uh, journalism in school, you didn't, um, I guess. And again, most some folks when they're in college, they don't know exactly what they want to do. So I guess, you know, you you studied it, but you just weren't like, I'm going to go like when I, I went, you know, when I went to school, I was like, that's what I wanted to do. So I was on a mission. So uh, so you just didn't really fall into it and you just graduated. Yeah, the, 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 the things the, the, the things that I connected with and the things that really became passionate to me, I just didn't take advantage of. I didn't say, wow, I'm going to I'm going to continue this and pursue this. So with voice voiceover, you know, a lot of stuff happened in between. And I just never said, I got to keep doing this. I got to keep doing this. I just right, I let right. life take over you know what i'm saying right and then when i was in the anchor chair you know rehearsing um the new set you know that and they loved me they said roger you're great mm. um i was a total natural i didn't i just didn't you know stay with it i didn't run with it because right. i knew plenty of people i mean hey i was working at nbc right so i i knew people in the newsroom um very well and I could have said, hey, I just did this. This is the reaction I got. This is the feedback. Um, and and it, they recorded it so they could have seen it. Um, I just, you know, I just didn't. It's funny. I'm going to touch on two interesting things. One is, uh, I guess I should, I should, maybe you should, I should make up a, um, a sound effect or something for this. But, it, but the um, word of advice, you know, for folks that are listening that may be younger, um, what you you know sort of the direction that you went into you know i think that anyone who has a passion and is interested in something even if it's right out of college or whatever it is do it exactly just do it because yeah, it yeah. really takes a long time to get anything done and you know um i would say that most of everyone i speak to uh when they want to do something i they say i'm going to do this and then I check back, you know, six months or a year. And I'm like, so how, how's that coming? And they're like, and I didn't do anything. So, and I could give you a list. I give you a hundred things that I'm like, I'm going to do this. And then like next week it's like done, you know? So the the first rule is, or or that, that anyone listening, it's like, if you have a passion, just do it, you know, follow Nike, just do it, get it done. Yeah. Um, you know, set a goal, you know, set a, set a date, you know, back time it, you know, get it in there. Because, um, you know, clearly you could have done that. Um, and I was doing it. I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. I should do this. I should do that. Right. I turned that should to, I mean, I was doing it. And I just, I didn't take that to heart. Right, right. And it's funny, I'll mention, I think I may, I may have mentioned this once before, but um, we had a, a group come to NBC when I was, after I finished being an NBC page. So I was working for WNBC News. And actually, I'm going to give a shout out to Steve Grimes, who is the director for our five, uh, you know, the five, six and 11 newscasts. I mean, he did a bunch of them. But uh, one of the young kids from my school came in and was trying to do a, a reel, like a demo reel. And I don't know, again, God bless him, because it was all unionized, whatever. I literally and I think Perry Peltz, I'll give a shout out to her, who was the anchor in New York at the time. Don't ask me how, but I had this young kid, he's like 20 years old, sitting at the WNBC set 
and we had the whole control room and they literally put everything in the prompter and did like a five minute, you know, intro to the show. You know, you're watching WNBC News, you know, and here's your anchor. And his name was Chris, you know, Chris, whatever. So we recorded the entire thing as a oh, wow. demo reel. And, you know, talk about demo reels, giving it to someone like here I have at the WNBC's, uh, you know, news set with a real. I mean, it was part of the, the show that we had just done. So it was really cool. Um, so, again, always give back. So I, I you know, that, that was nice that I was able to do that. So we'll fast forward. Um, and I guess we'll talk about, well, you mentioned some of the voiceover work, and I know we we're going to talk about that later, but um, you had mentioned Gene Wood. Did you? Yes. What was, yes. Yeah. What was that story? Well, and again, that was kind of like, um, and when I was working at Universal Studios, I would actually do audience warm up. Oh, okay. um, and, you know, I would, you know, I would, I would draw, you know, to Gene's shtick. Mm. Um, and then I, I, <laughs> I actually became part of the fabric at Universal doing that stuff, but that's, you know, that's a whole other Oprah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Gene, Gene, Gene was doing it for like centuries yeah. and he was just doing it so long and it, it, I mean, he would, he would open up his mouth and, it, and, you know, the stuff would just, you know, come out, yeah, um, you know, he would, he crazy. would, you know, yeah, he would, you know, he would go in into the audience and, you know, he would take, uh, you know, the, the, a child of, of, you know, parents that were there eight, nine or 10. Hi, what's your name? You know, Sally, um, are you married Sally? And then she would giggle and say, no, no, no. And then Gene would go, do you want to be, um, you know, it's like, just, I mean, just stick. What show um, was that? What, what was that for a particular show? Oh, really he did. Show? He did. Just, well, he did. Folks listening. He did I mean, he did. Things. He did Super Password. He did. Um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think. He did like everything. Yeah. Well, so there was there was Jay Stewart. He was exclusive to Let's wow. Make a Deal. Wow. Yeah. Um, there was uh scrabble wheel of fortune uh wheel of fortune i don't think he did um gosh there were so many of them um i should have written a list oh, that's, a, that's okay what about what about you mentioned um um was there any other uh voiceover guys um i think you'd mentioned someone earlier um before we got online was it danny Oh, Danny. Oh my gosh. Danny Dark. Well, yeah, so Danny he, Dark. he didn't, I mean, he was, he was the network, the network voice. Um, he didn't do audience warm up. although my God, I would have, I would have gone not nuts had he. So Danny, Danny Dark drove a Corvette, a white of Corvette. Of course he did. <laughs> drove. He, he, he wore shorts and like a polo shirt. He had um, back in the day, he had a day planner, you know, like a like a, a notebook. No, actually, Just, you know, before you even do that, I'm, let's tell the audience. Danny Dark was also the voice of Superman for the Super Friends. Yes. <laughs> so yes. so anyone listening who's uh, who's our age, who's a little bit, you know, but Danny Dark was the voice of Superman. So, you know, your voice doesn't get any better than that. And he also did. All the NBC, um, you know, uh, laugh, you know, laugh it up on Thursday night, you know, whatever it was. He did all. And his the thing, <laughs> the thing, yeah, the thing that Danny had was what they call transitions. Oh. So when you took 
So Thursday, the Thursday night light lineup was all comedy. So that was, you know, there was very little transition to do there. But, you know, when you would go to, you know, L.A. law to, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of a of a change. Yeah. Cheers. Um, cheers to L.A. law. I guess. cheers. Well, yeah. So it was, you know, he would able to make that transition seamlessly. I mean, it there it would I mean, it was it was art. It was yeah. art. So he would he would walk in, you know, back then, you know, it was million dollars a year, you know, oh, that yeah. that I mean, it was, you know, yeah. so uh, to to see him in an edit bay cutting promos. I mean, it was masterful, absolutely masterful. And you were and a that, you are a page at this point, right? We we didn't really. Oh yeah. That, but you were, you were, okay. We didn't really talk about that. But but so, yeah. so you were a page. How did you get into the edit room while he was doing that, or did you just walk in basically? Just walked in. You did okay. Which 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 we've or I saw about. or I I was able to see through you know through the window the the door right. glass. Right, right. And I mentioned um, in the past that pages had access to anywhere in the building. So if you wanted to, you know, and again, even going back to what you just said in at the open. You know, you're in a building of greatness and it's up to you to see. You could sit in the lounge all day or you can roam around and look yeah. at Danny Dark and go in there and, and listen to him, which that's how you learn, you know, learn. So so go on with that. That's amazing. Oh, so yeah. So yeah, you... he he would just um, and you'd be able to hear if you weren't able to get into the studio, you'd be able to hear it on the antenna plex, which was the in-house closed circuit um you know system where you saw into studios you saw rehearsals um days of our lives um days of our lives you would see their 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 studio feed yeah. on our in-house um antennaplex which was our tv system yeah uh, and you know in the morning you'd see him in curlers all the women in curlers with their uh what do you call it with their their uh their makeup collars on so they wouldn't right. get their their clothes dirty um, you know, and then, so that would be the morning and then it would, it would progress to, um, you know, dress rehearsals and then they would actually, um, you know, record the show like between four and six in the afternoon. Right. And so you would turn it on and you'd be watching, you know, days of our lives 10 days ahead of time. So you could, you know, you could call all your friends right. and say, Hey, for $20, I can tell you what's <laughs> going to be on the soap opera in a week and a half. It is very funny because in you know New York we had and when again this is like gold but we had the same thing so you could sit in the lounge put the TV on and you would see Letterman rehearsing uh, Tom Brokaw you know oh yeah standing oh in, yeah you know so it was it, it really was like the behind the scenes footage that you know if you didn't care I guess you didn't care but to your point like you're watching like you know the dress rehearsal or you know you're watching a show <laughs> two weeks in advance or watching them rehearse or and you get to see really what goes on behind the scenes, which was just, you know, I was 20 years old, whatever it was. And it was right. Whatever. And it's like, oh, my God, there's Letterman, you know, they're goofing off and, you know, they, they should, you know, with the scripts and they're pausing and all this other stuff. So it was just an amazing. Um, oh, yeah. Watching watching Carson rehearse, you know, some of his bits, he would do he would do, um, you know, a monologue. And then, you know, after the first commercial break, you know, he would do some shtick sometimes, depending on who was on the show. And you would see him rehearse this, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the in the early afternoon um, and, you know, talk about uh, uh, what's what's the word um, outtakes. Right. Oh, my God. 
the the stuff that went on during rehearsal because he he recorded he recorded live right they turned the cameras on at 5 30 they right. turned off at 6 30 and whatever happened happened right. so if he rehearsed a, a shtick with you know a, a guest that night and the rehearsal ran great if it didn't work during right. during the the show you got to see it right and actually i'll even add that for folks listening uh same thing for letterman um Basically at five, you know, people, it, it was interesting. So I guess I didn't know that when I, when I was watching Letterman, when I grew up, but when you're working the show, they, they record them at five 30 at night. Right. Um, and the audience comes in and then that feed gets fed at, you know, 1230 and, you know, same thing for, for right. Johnny. So right. yeah, they really weren't, and, and they were live to tape. So basically unless right. someone got killed or something, um, <laughs> you saw it. Yeah, for the most part, I, you know, I mean, I know in history they've they they would make either bleep things out or or edit things if it was something tragic. But generally, it was live to tape. What you saw in the audience, you know, was what you saw at home, which was pretty cool. What other Johnny? So you so a couple of things. Well, one is um, uh, Johnny for the you know I don't know if folks remember, but Johnny had stumped the band, which oh, yes. you know there, there was always a page standing next to him. And if they, I guess if they got it or didn't got it, Johnny would always give him a free uh, uh, card, which was like a free dinner or something. So, so were you one of the pages that was able to stand next to him during that? Well, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that was, that was a crazy story. The, um, the pages, you were under an 18 month contract. All you got was a year and a half. Uh, and so <clears throat> I started April 15th. So come October the following year, uh, was when my contract was to terminate. And so I was walking out to one of my tours um, and the scheduler, I mean, it's like, I'm trying to get to the to the lobby to my tour. And so Dorothy says, oh, well, you know, you're, you know, today's your last day or, you know, something like that. You know, it's like your your contract is ending today. And I'm going, can, can, can I give this tour oh, and we can discuss that? So I, I gave the tour and then, um, you know, they, re, they, they knew it was my birthday. So I'm going, wait, is this, is this a practical joke or something? So I got back from the tour and they said, well, we've, we've got some good news because of the holiday season, your contract has extended three months. Mm -hmm. So they kept me through November, December. Um, and as a birthday present, Johnny's doing stump the band. And so you're going to be the page on the show. Wow. Um, and so, I mean, that was a big thing because yeah. you were, you know, you were, you were, you know, you were like part of the show. Right. And, um, you know, it, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it, a touch of greatness. I mean, you don't want to like freak out cause it's like, you're one of them. It's a job. Like I, you know, like I said, uh, you know, that's all it is. It's a job. Um, you know, your job as a page is to represent the network because these people walk in for tours or part of the audience and they don't know about NBC. They just they they see you as a representative. And so you have to set the stage as to what they're going to think about NBC studios once they leave. Exactly. So if you mess if you misrepresent or if you're rude or belligerent, it's like so you have to you got to be cool about it. You got to be really cool. So um, I don't know. I don't remember. I think the stage manager gives you the envelopes. But so, yeah, so you just you just stand there usually a step or two behind Johnny because you don't want to upstage him. Right. You don't want to be on camera too much. But it it didn't matter who did it. Right. You were able you, you when you were watching the playback at 1130 at night, you were able to see each and every page adjust themselves. So they got <laughs> some airtime. 
So whether it's a little bit, you you could not, you couldn't, you couldn't change steps. Oh, so right. Johnny was was on one stair, and you were generally two above him. But you could jockey for position so that at least you could see the monitors that the audience were seeing and you could get just a little bit of FaceTime, which I, of course, did. Right. Um, uh, And then, you know, he he would go through the shtick and then he would he would look at you and he would have his hand out and you would just give him the next envelope on the top of the stack. That's it. No interaction, no talking, no, you know, hey, that was really good. Right. <laughs> um, you were to remain silent and just give him the envelope when prompted. Um, that was, you know, that was, that was kingdom for pages. It was funny. Did he ever, did he, you know, talk, like off camera or ever say anything to you? And Oh yeah. Oh, he was, he was very nice. I mean, yeah, he would meet tours and he would, you know, he would walk over. He usually showed up about two o'clock in the afternoon. So anybody who got tours, uh, you know, between like one and two would, we would go out in the midway where the, the, you know, was between the commissary and the studio buildings. We would go out there and, you know, we would say, well, Johnny usually comes about this time. So, you know, let's wait a few minutes. Sometimes he came, sometimes he didn't. If he showed up, um, you know, we would let him park. And I'll, I've got a story about that. Um, we would let him park. And then, and he's used to it. We would, you know, I would, I would, you know, have the tour approach his car. And, you know, they would go, hi, Johnny, when he got out. And sometimes he would wave. And sometimes he would walk over and say, hi, where are you from? Um, and spend two or three minutes. So, you know, again, they're there to work. They're just people, they're employees, and they've got a job to do. So our job is to be in the background, not to intrude. So let them take the lead. So if they if they wanted, if they had the time and they were in a good mood and he didn't just come back from his lawyer, you know. <laughs> the getting getting divorced from his ninth wife. No, go right. <laughs> um, then he would he would come by now. Jay was different. Jay, Jay would always spend time with us. Um, Wait, but well, Mayfa, yeah, yeah, hold that thought for Jay because I, well, I want to talk about Jay. But right, but, but well, let's 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 yeah, finish, finish with Johnny. Johnny. Okay. So, um, so yeah, he was he was really cool, and so he would spend a couple of minutes. Now, he would either drive his Corvette or his DeLorean. Um, he knew he knew DeLorean very well, and he had he had one DeLorean which he did drive, and he drove himself. Um, no limousines, no special treatment. He he loved to drive, as Jay did. Um, so he drove himself. Now, Johnny's license plate, and I never asked him, but I, I, I am sure it has to be. Johnny's license plate was, now in California, it was three three numbers and three letters. That there were, you know, the personalized plates, you know, were obvious. But Johnny's license plate was 360 G U Y. Three six zero G U Y. To figure out what the code, what the code. And nobody got it. Three six zero. Would you say G U Y? G U Y. So three sixty guy was what G U Y. Yeah. Um. Uh. Do 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 three sixty. Well, clearly it means something. <laughs> and I so what's what what's 360? Well, it's a whole year. Think math. 
think a, math. 360 um, uh, circle. I don't know. Right. So okay. what would a circle be with no next to G next circle to guy? Gu circle guy, circle, uh, circle G U Y, circle G U Y. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I'll probably get it when we get off. I go, are you going to tell me? <laughs> I don't know. Should I tell you? Yes, you tell me. All around guy. Oh, that's very nice. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Now that's 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 just me. Would, and I'm right. thinking is I mean, now, it could have been a coincidence. It could have yeah, been yeah. totally a coincidence. Right. That's funny. But I don't know. So anyway, like, I actually you know what to think about I, that. Let me just I I'll say um Steve Jobs, uh, you know what his license plate was? Oh, Nothing. He literally did not have a license plate because he didn't want people to know it was his car. So to get so so every the I guess the law in California is you don't need a license plate for six months. So you, so he'd he'd get a car, have no license plate for six months, and then trade it in to get a new car, and then that one would have no license plate. So so uh, yeah, you can you can Google that. I don't know. So apparently, well, see the, well that's interesting because the last two three years the state of California changed that. Now oh. now <laughs> now you actually have a temporary plate with, with numbers and, and letters. It's a real license oh. plate, yeah, but so it's I guess temporary. Maybe that was, I guess he, he probably, he probably was one of the reasons why they changed it. I guess. I don't know. Um, okay. So, so go, uh, yeah. So Johnny was great and yeah, it was amazing. Cause I know that when the tours, the, his, his, uh, they walked right past his car. Cause he parked right on the edge. His, his, his parking space was like, in between right. so the there's going to the thing to the so area. if you i'm trying to remember so the, the 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 front of the building where the entrance is that's where the commissary was and so we never we never went into the administration building we would go out into the midway and um the the commissary had a patio now most of the big wigs they would eat inside in the executive dining room um so we would, you know, everybody, because Johnny would talk about the commissary. Right. And so a lot of people wanted to see it. So uh, we would take him out to the Midway and we would point, you know, over where the commissary is. And we would say, by the way, that's the commissary. At the same time, we were in the Midway, which was the parking lot for, you know, for the actors and, and you know, for the hosts and things. And so we would spend a little bit of time <clears throat> um, uh, in the Midway just saying who might come in. Um, Vanna White, she was another one. She actually parked next to Johnny Carson mm. and she would drive a convertible Mustang. Of course. <laughs> Drop dead gorgeous. She would walk out wearing dolphin shorts and a very, shall we say, revealing um, either, you know, sports bra or shirt or something. I mean, it's like anybody on the road looking at her car you'd get into an accident wow i mean she was pristine wow i mean she was just gorgeous did not spend time with a page she would wave but she wouldn't she, not a whole lot of interaction mm -hmm. um so occasionally we would see her but we were out there to see johnny or you know if there were some guests we would you know we'd go out and you know if if uh, like, so when Wheel of Fortune was in production, you know, Pat Sajak, Vanna White, they, you know, if we saw them, we saw them. Um, but we were out there to see, to see Johnny. So we would cross over into the midway and then go back into the studio building. 
Um, we were we were not allowed to go into the commissary for obvious reasons. Um, but there was really nothing in the building that was attached to the commissary. So we normally didn't walk in there. When you gave your tours, um, what what studios and 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 again, you know, in New York and, I'm, and it's probably the same thing in L.A., we had a list of what studios were open. Uh, we had a general, I, you know, we, we had certain yeah. certain yeah. points in the building we had to go to. So we like where, where there were like videos or or things about the, you know, um, about the building or the history. But the actual studios themselves, if 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 they were open or closed, you know, would say, well, you can't go to Letterman today or you can't do this. Yes. So did you we have did a have, list? We, yeah. yeah. Tell me. About we had that. a board. Now, with with that, we had what was called a mini studio presentation. Yeah. where we were able to, you know, we would show them how, you know, two cameras worked. We had a Grass Valley switcher. We had a mini studio director, two camera people. Um, and we would basically, you know, in 15 minutes or less, show a tour um, how a studio operates from, from behind the cameras, how the cameras work, how the switchers work. And we would have a screen and we would be able to get inside the studios through the Antenaplex system they would have, um, you know, cameras in there where we'd be able to see what's going on. So, for example, like I mentioned, Days of Our Lives, they were in Studios 2 and 4. Uh, you know, we were able to, you know, show them a rehearsal. Now, because of, you know, laws, we didn't want them. I mean, if they were, if they were Days of Our Lives fans, we didn't want to, you know, spend a half an hour watching so that they could, you know, see what the storylines were. But, you know, we could spend a minute or two um, in the studio showing, you know, this is Days of Our Lives rehearsing uh, for Johnny Carson. If his set was closed and if he if there was a rehearsal going on, they would have the cameras on so we could show them the the studio. So to your point, if there were closed studios through that mini studio presentation, we were able to show them what was going on inside. But that was only 15 minutes. So when we left the mini studio and brought them into the studios, you know, there, you know, we could take them into construction. Here's where the sets are built. Um, You know, we would, there was enough, there, there was enough meat in the hallways and we, you know, we, we made it sound, you know, really important. We would tell them stories. Um, So if all the sets were closed, um, we were able to fill the time enough to make them think that they got their money, their their money's worth. Right. Um, now, Joan Rivers, when Johnny wasn't there, Joan Rivers was um, there Monday nights, and so, you know, sometimes we would see, you know, her posse. Um, not so much her, but occasionally there'd be people. So uh, did the did the did the uh, tours generally get into Johnny's uh, set? Did they yes. get we would we would sit them we I would take the we would take them what they call overstage we'd go through the um through the side door uh we would cross his star we would go onto the stage oh, wow. and then we would go into the audience and I would sit them um I would sit them in you know in the audience section right. and then I would you know step onto the stage and oftentimes um, his, his monologue from the day prior would be sitting on the boards. Cause you know, they would, they would, you know, his, his monologue would be displayed in front of him one by one. 
And, you know, for those who knew, uh, even today, you know, Jay, or, uh, Fallon, uh, Kimmel, you know, they, they all had this art of being able to look down and you could see their eyes looking down, looking at, you know, the, the, the cards. Um, yeah. Let me touch on that. Cause yeah, if you yeah. look at Johnny, um, Johnny had his cards, like almost like a 20 foot gap or more. I don't know. Yes. It's a wide yes. gap. So yes. when Johnny would start the show, he would literally look down at the cue. You know, well, first of all, cue cards. If you watch Saturday Night Live, generally the cue. Um, this is for the audience listening. Um, the, the, you know, the cue card person would would hold the cards right next to the lens. So when they're sort of looking in the lens, they're really reading the cards just a little bit off camera. That's but correct. Johnny, yeah. So Johnny, I guess, didn't want to have a cue card person holding it or just help him like plan his uh, his uh, his monologue. Or, or just there's a reason for that. Uh, yeah. So tell us the reason. So he his writers would you know write a whole bunch of you know he they would write his monologue, and then it would be rehearsed, and depending upon how the audience was reacting to the monologue that was in progress, it allowed him to skip around. Oh, so. Man. Instead of telling, you know, the cue card person that's next to the camera going, yeah, I don't want that one. Go to the next right. card. Ooh, um, he would be able to jump around on his own and he would he would be able to take the pulse of the audience and know what he wanted to use and what he didn't want to use. So sometimes the jokes that were on the cards never went on the air because he didn't feel it would work for the audience. So it gave him independence. Wow, that is now that is an amazing um that is fascinating because um again the so the so the cards, you know, if you watch Johnny, you know, you know, old recordings, you'll see his head, you know, start at the let's say the right side of the screen and then yes. work its way all the way to the left. Yes. And actually your your point about that, and it's funny because Letterman, who did have a cue card guy, um Oftentimes, Letterman would be like, yeah, get rid of that joke. And he would literally on air tell the, the, the cue card guy to get rid of that joke. So that makes perfect sense. And I never really thought of it. But that that is true, because you're listening. If you do a joke and it dies, he's like, OK, we're just going to skip over to the next one. Right. Cue card, even even a cue card person or a, uh, a, a teleprompter where where, you know, the, the uh, jokes are in a prompter also for a talent would be hard to skip because it's it's all in order and it's you know so that's a great that's a, that's interesting i didn't know that that's fascinating wow yeah. um so let's see um so you did stuff the band so tell me about this uh luciano pavarotti how how did oh. that come about <laughs> what what's the deal with that <laughs> so if you were assigned to the show there were um you know people that were with the audience pages that were, were with the audience and then there was always there was always one page um they called it the cb position client booth well so you're basically you know you're stationed between the the main studio door not the elephant doors but the the entrance door uh between the the dressing room hallway um and and the studio so you would you would see you know people going to and from and uh luciano was in one of the dressing rooms, I didn't know which one, because I, I think he arrived before I did. And so the 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 stage phone rang. And it rang and I, you know, said, this is, you know, Studio One, this is Roger, may I help you? And I, I, I mean, I'd get, I mean, it was such a thick 
Italian hat. <laughs> it's like, and I and, and I I I wouldn't even do it justice to paraphrase. Right. But I, I I think I said in my submission to you, it's like um I don't remember what I said, but it's like uh he, he just said help TV, you know, I I I had to go to the dressing room. So I I not and I didn't know. I I knocked on the door. And Did you know he was in there at the time? You knew it was him, or you just some guy. Called I knew he was on the show. I knew he was on the show. I I did not know where his dressing room was. I don't think I don't think the sign on the door was there yet because they would you know the art department and the graphic department would would put um, cards so that you knew who was in what. Right. And I I don't think that had been done yet. So I knock on the door. And he goes, um, you know, please come in or whatever it was. I mean, it was, and then, so it is big. I mean, he was, he was a big guy mm -hmm. and it was Luciano, you know, Mr. Pavarotti, how can I help you? It's like, oh my God. I mean, it's like, but they're just people, they're just people. And so basically what was happened, what happened, long story short, is in order to get the feed of the activity in the studio, like back in the day when you had cable, your TV set had to be on channel three oh, right. to get, you know, to able to, to use the buttons on the box that they gave you. Right. So his set wasn't on channel three. So I turned his TV set onto channel three, tested his box. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's like, <laughs> you know, can you sing me a tune? No, 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 no. Um, so just really just a person. You yeah, know, I, they, I get a kick out of that. I mean, again, being in the building, you know, um, it, it was just so funny because you, you could literally go to work and you have no, like you could run into your childhood hero. You could I mean, you never know who's going to be there, which I always thought was the coolest thing, you know, yeah. even walking around the building um, and especially in your yours. Did they shoot any other? besides nbc shows i guess were there other uh, talent shooting other stories that's that speaks that speaks to telesales where they would lease their studio out they would they would lease their studios out to outside production companies okay. that just wanted to use you know they just needed a studio nice. and three cameras and lights right. so that they could and it's you know it's their their leased events Right. Um, we, we did have like when Bob Hope did a specials mm. that was under the guise of NBC, of course, but it was still, you know, it wasn't days of our lives. It wasn't wheel of fortune. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of their stables. Right. Um, it was an OTO, a one-time only thing. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things that might've come in. Um, Gosh, it's been so long ago. <laughs> That's okay. Let um, me let me ask you so, about. Yeah. Uh, you gonna just remember? And then well, so then I'll I'll bring up. Um, you know, I I am a Fanalo, uh, and so Barry Barry Manilow, um, he nice guy, but he he didn't want to be bothered with people, so he would he would sneak in. Nobody ever saw him. And I think even through the antenna plex, it was dark. You could, oh, you, really? yeah. Um, you couldn't see him rehearse. It was totally blacked out. So once he got into the studio, it said closed set. We as pages, as, as employees of the network were not allowed in. You could not enter the set. Really? No student, no audiences. 
I mean, an audience for the for for the show. Yes. No tours. You know, if if you did not have reason to be there, don't go there. Wow. At all. That's interesting. So, because, yeah, yeah, he was one of them. So and it, and it's funny because in you know back in, at SNL you know uh, like I said whether it was Madonna Paul McCartney or anybody rehearsing on Thursday uh, before the show it was like two in the afternoon or something um, anyone could go into the studio so like we would be if we knew that someone was in the building we'd be like we're gonna go watch Paul McCartney rehearse and they would let you in and there was not one band ever that we, we were banned from. So I'm shocking. He seemed, you know, for whatever reason, and, and he probably, maybe, you know, maybe he just creatively, it's distracting because it probably is distracting having people come in and do stuff. So, you know. Yeah. Know. And it's not, I mean, it's like, it's been announced that, you know, on tonight's show, Barry Manilow. I mean, so it, it was mostly musical guests right. that had the set closed. Um, so Barry Manilow, uh, Neil Diamond, I think, closed the set as well. Well, that's interesting. Um, and Neil Diamond. So that's there's a there's a story about Neil. Um, so most musical guests, um, you know, they they didn't want to be interrupted by talking, and you know, just so to your point, distraction. So they just, but for for me, little old me, I can't come in and just you know be a fly on the wall and just you know, you know, see you sing Mandy performed live in rehearsal without having to pay a fortune for your concert. Um, there were, you know. there were a lot of moments and that, and it's funny. I mean, there were a lot of moments where, where, you know, like I said, listening to a band rehearse or watching someone famous do something. I, it was really funny, even believe it or not, when cheers went off the air, um, George went was at NBC, I guess, doing press for, for cheers when it was going off. And I don't know how the hell I don't know. Like, I don't even like it's one of those like I was I was given George to go do promos or something. And I remember walking him. I think I I think I walked him into that uh, McSorley's uh, to um, the bar. I, I have McSorley's on the brain, the bar oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. stairs at NBC. Um, and I'm walking in with him and I'm like, what the, how the hell did 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 cats walk in with George went into a bar? You know, like how is that happening? Um, and it was funny because even when they went off the air, and again, I don't know how the hell I did it, but I I wound up producing a segment with Roker, Al Roker. Oh my was, gosh! Yeah, he was in Boston. I went to Emerson in Boston, so I've actually been to the real Cheers, which is the Bull and Finch. Yes, 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 yes. So yes. we did a live shot like the whole night. We were doing a live shot with Roker. And I'm in the control room directing Roker about the end of Cheers, like the final episode. And I'm like, how the hell, how did that happen? You know, it's like, so it's like, like, you know, you're in the studio and it's like, little old me, could I just come watch? And it's like, just these mind blowing events to be in places where probably most people wouldn't be right. You'll in the, in the, in, in your lifetime, you probably right. wouldn't have that uh, experience. And you also, you also gave some, some, um, some uh uh advice i guess or support to ms oprah winfrey <laughs> what was oprah's, again another another word like just like my head just exploded like like yeah how do you oprah's yeah oprah's very very first national appearance outside her chicago you know her her chicago uh what's the term i want to use 
um bubble yeah Yeah, just yeah because she was on she was on the local news uh yeah she she had her local tv show in chicago before she yeah she was like i mean she was like david letterman doing weather you know and then all of a sudden this breakout hit came you know came out um and david letterman his you know the 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 local show that they gave him that whole story is hysterical um but for oprah her first national appearance was on the tonight show starring johnny carson she walked in like a deer in headlights she was lost i mean she was nervous and i said miss miss (laughs) miss winfrey it's gonna be fine here's your dressing room um you know it's it's fine and we we had been kind of like I don't want to use the word coached, but advised. I mean, so they, we we had seen, you know, clips of her show and, you know, we knew it was going to be a big night. Mm-hmm. And the whole production company said, you know, you're going to be fine. I mean, just just be who you are, be yourself um, and let nature take its course. And she was just so full of personality, so bubbly, so unique. And, you know, she didn't she wasn't these people that would close sets and, you know, put on airs. She was just so new and so fresh. She had nothing else to do but be herself because she didn't know who else to be because she had no exposure to it. Right. She was just right off the train. Wow. And she got on the show and, you know, Johnny showed some clips uh, of, you know, of her Chicago stuff. And she was just so personal. Um, now, of course, that, you know, it, it didn't hurt that she was African-American because she was, you know, she was a trendsetter in that respect also. I mean, every everything that she stood for was just golden. And, you know, I, I, I saw it firsthand and the rest is history. Right. Uh, she just was amazing. You know, hi, thank, thank you so much. You know, it's like right. just, just you know, profusely thankful, right. and and humble. Um, just what she was, just human, right? You and and as you saw her, you know, develop and age on on, you know, everything that she did, you saw that, right. you know, I and anything that I saw her do, you know, that first appearance carried her through yeah just amazing wow it's funny um you know yeah just just her being genuine and and yeah and and um grateful you know and 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 kind is is amazing um and it's funny another another person which we mentioned at the top of the show um mr leno um i i've had a lot of experience with him and Tell us your experience, because he, so he Jay, really was a mensch. He he was a he, he really yeah. was and was a great guy. But yeah, tell us. yeah. Jay, <clears throat> Jay was the complete opposite of Johnny. Now Johnny obviously had you know led a different life and you know didn't want the, you know it. <clears throat> so if gotta get some water. Um, with social media. Johnny, Johnny was very private. Johnny's life was private. He spoke very soft. 
very soft because he always had a mic in front of him. So it's like, why should he? He never needed to project. He would he would talk like this. This is this is this is Johnny. He would talk just I mean, very, very soft spoken, you know, very, very demure. With Jay, it's like, hey, guys, what's going on? You know, it's right. like totally. And it's like, yo, <laughs> uh, look at my car. And he drove he drove everything. Right. I mean, he took car. It's like, what's that? And so if we caught him in the midway coming in, um, you know, the 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 tours toward the end of the day, as you know, people either went home or, you know, if days of our lives were in production, obviously we couldn't get in there. We couldn't get near there. Um, you know, if any of the game shows were in production, we couldn't get in there. Um, so late afternoons, it was like up to either a Johnny or, you know, Fritz Coleman. Fritz Coleman did our weather locally at KNBC Channel 4. Yeah. Just another mensch, the guy, I mean, everybody loved Fritz Coleman. With Jay, you know, if, if he was outside or if he was nearby, we would go, hey, Jay. And the tour would go, huh? What? what? Yeah. It's like, because they're just, they're, they're, they're used to being non-approachable. Yeah. And Jay even told the department guest relations, Hey, no problem. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, so we knew that we could break Jay's fourth wall and have him come over because he would spend 10, he would, you know, Hey, how you doing? Where are you from? You know, it's like, what, what, what do you do? And then, you know, he would crack a couple of jokes. He would test the monologue. You know, he would say, Hey, here's, what's going to go on tonight. And he would spend, you know, he'd, he'd throw a couple of jokes our way just to see how, you know, a group of people would react to, to his monologues. Not that he had a problem doing that, but he just, he was just so good natured. He just, everybody loved Jay. Everybody loved him. Yeah. So yeah, will, that was great. Yeah. I will say Jay, um, he, and I, I bumped into him again in, 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 uh, at NBC in New York, but, uh, yeah, he, it, you know, and you gotta give credit to these guys. Cause even, even me personally, if I'm shooting, like if I'm shooting something and I'm on set doing something, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit, um, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tense and I'm pretty focused. Like my, like, like my heartbeat is up. My breathing is up. I'm like laser focused. And I pretty much put blinders on in the sense, like I, I can't, I can't deal with anything cause I got to focus, but to Jay's credit, um, you know, Never I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how they do it, but he was always like that. If he was coming through 30 rock or, or whatever he's doing, he was so um, he had no problem talking to people, you know, again, telling the jokes. Um, it seems like nothing bothers him at all. It, no. It, and he and, always he always walked in with blue jeans yep. and a blue jean shirt, blue jean right. long sleeve shirt. I mean, that was like it was like that was his uniform to walk into the to the to the studio. I mean, that's that it would just for him. It was just a job. Yeah, that's, you know, he he's a car mechanic, Yeah, you know, so it's like he's a car mechanic and he, he you know, he does this show as a side gig. Um, you know, that's he was so down to earth, <clears throat> so genuine. Yeah, there was a couple. I'll give you some some fun Jay facts. Uh, and also, again, my my brush with Jay. One is well, one is when I saw him again, always wore the denim uh, T-shirt and the denim jeans. That's yep. all he wore, which is amazing. Yep. 
two is Jay. Well, again, this this was one of those moments where it's like, explain to me how I got this gig when Jay Leno did, which will be a good segue to Letterman in a second. But when when Jay Leno came to New York to do the Tonight Show live from New York, um, he did his and it was it was like he did it like once or twice for whatever. It was a stunt maybe for some uh, sweeps or something. I don't know. So he did his show at the uh, SNL studios and in the SNL studio, the home base where the guest would come through the doors for Saturday Night Live, which, by the way, there's nothing, of course, for the listeners, you know, there's nothing behind the doors, but a wall. So they're just sort of standing behind the wall. <laughs> but when Jay would walk or when the host would walk out and then they would take a step down there was a a little stage that would actually, uh, I believe, it was automatic, and it would it would it would um, you know uh, roll out from underneath that bigger stage. So when Jay did the guest spot in New York, and that little baby stage rolled out, um, that brought him closer to the audience, and he felt like it was doing like like a real club kind of thing because he felt connected. So when he went back to L.A., they wound up adding a little uh, stage, just like SNL stage, literally because he loved the experience in New York. So you're going to mention something that well, yeah, that that actually sparked. So to to that point, yes. And so when Jay did do his shows, I'm I'm I, I need to retract. He did not go through Studio One. He went through Studio Three. Cause which was across the hall. It was CPO Sharky. That was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was there. Now you're dating yourself. I, was, yeah, I, I, I was not, I, I, I was not in, I don't, I don't know if I was actually at work doing something else, but that exchange between, um, between Johnny and, uh, Crapola, who, who was CPO Sharky? Um, is that funny? It, it wasn't, um, that wasn't, um, um, uh, Don Rickles. Don Rickles. I was going to say I was Don Rickles. There you go. Which is also oh, like that exchange. My dad's favorite, and and I love him. But yeah, yeah. So yeah. when when uh, when um, Don Rickles broke his, he had like a cigarette box. There was like a, a whole big thing. Oh yes, yes, yes. And yes, so yes. and so he literally walked through that hallway that us pages stand in from Studio One to Studio Three to like um, he crashes. I mean that that was hysterical. Anyway, wait, wait, we wait. No. Pause for that for a second, because because I know that story. Let me just set it up. And well, the the bottom line is, if you watch Johnny, Johnny had a cigarette box on his desk. Yes, yes, yes. Basically, um, um, Don Rickles, I guess, filled in. Either filled in, or he was sitting at his desk, or was he no? He filled in. He filled, he filled in. in. Okay, and he was playing with that box, and he broke yes. it. Yes. So so when Johnny came back, um, uh, Johnny was like, "What the hell's going on here? My thing's broken." He was, it looked like he was pissed and he literally went across the hall while they were filming mm -hmm. uh, uh, Sharky and uh, he was like, what the hell, you know, and he, and he, and he called him on it and it was hilarious. So, so were you there when that took place? I was, was not assigned. I was not assigned. I was not working Carson that night and um, CPO Sharky, I don't, I'm trying to think if he had an audience. It was either a live track. I don't, I don't think I don't he did. Yeah, I think I think it was done in post. Yeah, I don't think it was a live studio audience. Um, 
So I was I was either on I was either not working or on the other side of the studio because I I was not there when that happened. Um, but that was that was hysterical. So Jay, uh, he used stage three to your point because he didn't he liked to be closer to the audience, like you said, and he didn't he didn't he liked nightclubs. So Studio Three was. Uh, tighter quarters. It was not as cavernous as Studio One was. So yeah, he worked. He he worked out of Studio Three. And uh, and one other funny thing again, which is so random, but it, but again, so here when the Tonight Show came to New York, um, the director of the Tonight Show, do you, do you have to remember? I don't know if you the director of the Tonight Show was uh, uh, was Kevin's dad. Uh, there was a woman, or maybe the executive Herbie. producer. Uh, oh no no no! Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. No, that was Johnny's. That was Johnny's. Um, Helen, Helen was her name. I don't remember her last name. Let me call Herbie. He would know. Um, I was gonna say. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna. Uh, let's see. Google it. Let's see. Google it. Her name. Her name. Her name was Helen. No, there was another. Let's see. Uh, it was wow. Jay's director. Was Helen? I don't remember her last name. It was the E P J Leno. You'll edit this out, right? It's um, yeah. Let's see, Jay's. Uh, we'll see. Well, we'll have to. It's not really that important, but um, in Helen any case, was that, there there was there was. I don't know if it was the executive producer or whatever it was, but but in any case, when they came to New York, they wanted to cut a new open for the Tonight Show, but featuring New York, you know, uh, visuals basically. Oh wow, yeah, right. So again. I don't know how the hell. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how the hell I somehow I and I'm going to name the cameraman Jefferson. So if oh Jefferson, my God. I don't know, he may be dead. I may be dead at this point. I don't know. Je there was a guy. There was a film guy, Jefferson, that I used to hire at WNBC. And maybe yeah, maybe I was maybe I was a producer at that time because I went, you know, I was working for WNBC at the time. I don't know how it is. All I know is I got a call saying the Tonight Show's coming to New York. You need to go shoot footage of like the 30 Rock area. And we wound up shooting on, I think it was film. It might not have been on film, but we shot at, at dusk, you know, at like the magic hour. And we, you know, tilted the camera up high at the building. Right. And it was gorgeous. And literally, and it wasn't that, I'll have to figure out who it was, but they wound up calling back to New York and they were like, who shot this footage? It's beautiful, gorgeous. Oh and, my God. Yeah. So if you, if you actually watch now, it's funny now that I'm on the phone, now that I'm talking to you, I'll probably go back and look. But if you look at the opens when Leno was in New York, the shots of 30 rock, the building I did with the, my camera guy, uh, Jefferson, who, who shot it. Um, which again is like how that happened. I've, I've no idea, <laughs> which is crazy, but, um, Okay, so that was a good. Now, now we're going to mention Mr. Right. So, um, so Jay was great. So God bless Jay. So yeah, I, I love Jay Leno. He he really he really is just the the greatest. Um, but now we'll do a segue over to Mr. Letterman, oh, which which had some brushes with him as well. Um, much quieter guy, probably the complete opposite in in person. Well, but tell me your tell me some stuff about Letterman. It's like David Letterman. Who was who his? Who was his? Um, I was Bill Wendell. Bill Wendell. That's right. The original announcer. Yeah. 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 Um. Oh my God. So, 
we got wind and we we and he, he to the best of my knowledge well i was there just short of two years he only did this once we <laughs> we said to his production company worldwide pants do not come back here again <laughs> no <laughs> they, they tore up shreds sh shrubs fencing i mean it so <clears throat> word got out that he was coming to Burbank, NBC Burbank. And I don't remember which studio he was out of. I don't think he used one or three. I think they gave him Studio 9, which was the old, um, They well, they shot Punky Brewster out of Stage 9, which yeah. I did. What an amazing production company. I love Punky Brewster. Um, wow. And uh, they did... Um, Oh my gosh! It was a David uh, David Linkletter show where he would what um, he would take one person and he would go like the the life of what what was the name of that show David? Um, uh, they would take one person and they would go through their entire yeah, life. Yeah. This is your life. Is I your think life. It was, this yeah. is your life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So David, that was one thing that was least that that he would come in um, and he would he would do that show. Um, so I don't, I don't, I think it was out of studio nine and the lines, people would literally camp out tents. Yeah. I mean, security was called. I mean, it was a nightmare. We would walk in and I, I think, I think they had to reroute us because they were just so rowdy. Um, the audience, the we, audience, the audience. So the, yeah. the crowd. Oh yeah. And, and the store, the, the gift shop, the guest relations gift shop was right outside where you get tickets. Uh -huh. um, and so you were able to mail in for tickets and then you were, you were able to stand online that day for tickets to any of the shows that were in production that day or, or usually the ticket office, we were ticketing for maybe uh, that week. Right. Not the, not, not the tonight show was daily. Those tickets were distributed daily and David's tickets were distributed daily. And people were on, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people wow. were in line and we i mean we try to avoid it and i was never a page assigned to the line or the show i don't i don't remember how that worked out um but we if if there was a need to you know to go anywhere near the line they would see us in our uniform um, we would conveniently take off our name tag so they would not see. Oh, what really? It's funny. But really? That's wow. I mean, it's funny. We we that we never did in New York. Uh, but that's what I that we would we well, would get not our, allowed, not allowed. Yeah, but yeah. this we wow. did not. We, we did not. Now, if you were working the show and working the line, you had to have your name tag on. But I. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so it's like, here's here's twenty dollars. Here's twenty dollars. You know, can, can, can you get us tickets? We'll do anything. We've been here for days when they have been. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were, they literally were camped out 24 seven. So when, when the allotment for that day was, was shot and there were no more tickets for that day, they'd stay online. Yeah. They would, you know, they, their family or friends would bring food or something, no cell phones. You know, it was like there, there was no communication. People would just, you know, they would camp out there right. for the entire week. Wow. It was, I mean, it was bedlam and, the other studios that were shooting the other the other shows that needed audiences it's like where's the people hmm. um we could we could not get audiences 
Wow. So I, I, and I don't, I, I don't remember. I'm thinking maybe they had, no, I didn't think they'd do that where they would go out and they would take people out of the David Letterman line and bring them into other studios and save their places on the David Letterman line. So after the show, I don't think we did that. I don't think because they didn't, they, I think it was offered, but they didn't want to. Um, which actually, I, I'll kind of interrupt. For it's funny yeah. because you just you gave me another funny thing. You're, back in New York, there was a show called House Party. Um, oh, I, I, it was, I it was called yeah, it was called House Party, and actually, Steve Ducey, who is on, I guess Fox, their morning show. I don't. Uh, he's on Fox, whatever. Steve Ducey, but we had a show on in NBC, which was which we they shot in the SNL studio, and it was basically the set looked like like the garage, the the front, you know, the front porch, you know, parts of a house. And it was an awful show. But we had to get talk about getting audiences. And again, I was I mean a little bit, you know, the, we couldn't fill the audience. And the this the SNL studio is really one of the biggest audience because there's a whole balcony. So it was about 200 or so folks. I mean, it was pretty big. That's all? Did, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yours that what are yours? Probably so a studio studio one at the time for Johnny Carson was 500. Oh my god. Yeah, no. All the all the all the um cuz cuz all of this the studios in New York were in this little bit, you know, in a building. So oh, yeah, yeah, I think our, I think we probably had 200 and if anyone's um listening, you can correct me on that, but I believe actually I'm going to have Chris Sulger, which was the audience coordinator for the tickets, he'll confirm that if I get him on the show. But yeah, we only had like 200 seats. Uh maybe Two well, no wonder it yeah. took months to get tickets for him. Yeah, it was pretty tight. But but for SNL, so but but here it is for SNL. We had you know let's say two hundred seats, but we couldn't fill it. And we um even we even had black um you know black uh, curtains or tablecloth whatever it was you know material that we would cover some of the seats if 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 we couldn't fill them. But Johnny I had that too, but seldom used. Right, exactly, because they, I mean, you know, totally want to see that. But I remember when I was there, um, and I'll give a shout out to, like, Mary Frisbee, if she's listening. Uh, I forget who it was. In my review, when I was a page, which I still have my reviews they gave me 30 years ago. Oh, my I, God. I, I, yeah, I got this glowing review, and um, in in one of, you know, one whatever it was, but I, they couldn't fill the audience for, for this show house party. So I literally went down with a bullhorn, like an actual bullhorn to 30 rock, like outside. And I literally was like free tickets. Anyone want to get, go to a show? Blah blah. So I, I literally round up, rounded up like dozens and dozens of folks. And then in my review, it said for the first time ever, House Party had a full audience thanks to David Katz <laughs> because I because they we couldn't fill it. But I was like, you know, hey, we got free tickets. So it was really funny. Um, OK, so going back to um, so with Letterman. So so the show wound up. Um, he did. He did his little gig um, and was it, it, it obviously was a success because I'm assuming. Oh, my God. Yes, it, it was. And the, the audience must have went nuts because they were probably. Oh, so oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I never touched foot in the studio. I just, I was, and I don't remember what the deal was. Maybe there was like another show that I was already assigned on and they couldn't move stuff around. Um, but I, I was never, I mean, I just, the stories that I'm telling is what I either 
I either saw in person with with the lines right. and people just tearing our you know our our you know those those boxes of shrubs that they have for decoration you know that line you know fences so you don't see what's going on i mean just, i mean it was just the whole place was like trashed oh, it's amazing. Um, and, I, and i will say this for letterman i mean in new york um and again and again even for the standbys um we we had people that would come friday for like let's say for snl they would come on a friday they would sleep over all mm -hmm. night mm -hmm. for Saturday mm -hmm. morning for like what's called a standby ticket, right? So you had, did you have standbys? Is that Johnny had standby tickets and we used, they were, we used, standbys got in uh, maybe 10 or 15% of the time. Mm. Okay. David, Wait. hell no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. He did not, still. there was no, they were, we, we, in fact, David Smith, who was our ticketing coordinator, um, he, I mean, we were thinking about it and we, because they, they always say, they, all the audiences are told that ticketing is always issued in excess of, of studio capacity. So if you don't get in, don't, don't, you know, don't call your lawyers because we, we, we over ticket. We want to make sure that our, that our studios are full. Um, but with David Letterman, we we got it down to like maybe 20 or 25 that didn't get in because we didn't we didn't want to get shot. Yeah. Um, so that we we knew we knew that there was um, absolutely no way standby tickets were going to get in on our side. Um, again, just to talk about the standby tickets. Oh yeah, we uh, we again, knew there was no standby tickets for for David Letterman. There was just too 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 high a demand. Yeah, and and for those that are listening, uh, which they I guess I'm assuming that it's done the same way today. Um, and I always got a kick out of it, but they would you know they would either sleep out you know Saturday to to or Friday night to Saturday morning for uh, Saturday Night Live. They'd come back at uh, either ten or eleven o'clock Saturday night. And then if they if we needed to fill the audience with a, to fill a seat, we would get those standbys to bring them upstairs. And then for Letterman, um, I it's funny I don't it, it actually now that I'm thinking about it I don't recall that we had standbys and I'm, I can't remember because it it probably was always filled. Uh, there was always folks that wanted to go see his show, um, which is which is so exciting. I mean, again, and 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 just again, I'll, I'll even say. You know, the first time that I was in the studio and Letterman, you know, like the first time I worked the show. And I remember I remember to this day, I'm going to cry. I was literally like at the, I was at the top of the staircase. And again, it's a very small studio. And it was, you know, they turned the lights out. And uh, Bill Wendell, I believe, you know, he, he would come out and warm up the audience for a minute. And mm -hmm. then literally before, like 30 seconds before the show would run, they'd be like, you know, let, you know, let, let's bring, you know, ladies and gentlemen, David Letterman, he'd walk out, uh, you know, and for like 30 seconds. So he really didn't chat with anyone. He would wave and do whatever. He would go backstage um, and then they would do the the music would start. I mean, literally the first time I was in the studio and the music played, you could have just punched me in the face. I mean, it was like, I mean, I grew up, you know, with my brother, we would always say, you know, hey, let's watch Letterman tonight. And I'm now in the studio watching, like hearing the music live. And it just, I mean, I almost lost my mind. It was like, like it just, it was the coolest thing ever to sit and watch a show 
that you grew, you know, that, that he was really my favorite show. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So, so God yeah. bless Dave, Dave. Yeah. He, you know, we love Dave. So a um, couple of quick things. I just want to be, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up soon, but we'd mentioned um, Brandon Tartikoff yes. and Grant Tinker, which Brandon was the, the NBC president and uh, Grant yeah. was the CEO. So yeah. Tell us about that. I've got to tell you to this day, it chokes me up. Mm. Brandon Tartikoff I mean, talk about going too soon. Mm. Uh, he suffered from, I think it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. Um, and he he passed away before 40. He was very young. Yeah. He was the top of his game. He had just left. I think he just left NBC uh, to open up his own production company. Mm. So <clears throat> Brandon was the uh, the president of programming. Um, Fresh Prince of El Bel Air which I was not a fan of was his brainchild mm. with uh, Will Smith. That was his, that was his, that was his show. He loved Will Smith, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And when, when he passed away, I, I mean, I was devastated. Um, and I, I sent, I sent a letter to Lily, his wife and a kind of check. I, I wrote, I wrote a, a $25 check to his, uh, to the charity that, you know, his, their foundation. Um, I mean, and today you don't, you, there's no grand tinkers and Brandon Tartikoff's anywhere. Yeah. They're, they just don't exist. So Brandon was the head of programming and Grant, um, who I, I don't know if we, if he was still married to Mary Tyler Moore at the time. Um, they, he was, he was the president. He was like the head honcho. And, um, they would they would walk the hallways uh, if if they were going to a meeting or if they had a place to be. Um, when I was at KCOP Channel 13, there was one president that would purposely walk out. And I'd see him. He would walk outside the building into some other door so that he purposely would not need to walk through the building to see people. He just uh -huh. wanted no part of it. Uh -huh. So... They would they would walk through the hallways and, um, you know, I, I, I did I did do some work for for Brandon, you know, backing up when I worked for corporate events, special events. Um, I did uh, I did a remote um, in Lake Arrowhead and um, he Brandon called me because he wanted he wanted to set up a foursome, a tennis match. Mm -hmm. And so he, he you know, he left a message. And so I was, you know, so I. um I set that up for him and, you know, he, he personally thanked me. I mean, he personally thanked me, mm. not a secretary, not an office, not posse him. He thanked me. Mm. What a guy, what a guy. And Brent Grant too. Grant. I mean, and they knew everybody's name. Hey, Roger, what's going on? How you doing? Every single person in that building, they knew mm. it was incredible. Right. It's like, who, how do you know who I am? Right. They, you know, through, you know, pictures of, you know, the, the managers and directors, I'm, I'm sure that they were able to, um, you know, tell these two people uh, who, you know, who worked for them. They appreciated everything. There would be um, talk about swag and parties. Oh my God. These people threw parties like it was nobody's business. When we were in the late 80s and early 90s, 
Yeah. Um, we would have programming meetings and we would have, you know, in, in December for, you know, Hanukkah and, and Christmas, they would throw parties at hotels and Brandon would get up there and he would thank everybody for everything that they did. Uh, <laughs> he would give, you know, hats and shirts and, and, and swag and mugs. I still have stuff. Oh. I still have stuff to this day. And he just loved us. He really respected his team. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> there were there were two people that I worked for. One, and I'm not going to name names. So it don't, it's so funny because having folks on the show, yeah, we won't name any names. But you know what? You could mention the story, but don't name the names. Yeah. <laughs> So one, there was one guy who was in charge of special events and one guy who was second in command um, at, at NBC. So the one guy second in command, um, the reason why I was in his office once a week is because the full-time woman who worked for him went to her therapist and so he needed somebody in his office five days a week. So he would call guest relations, talk to Eba, and Eba would make sure that there was a page on assignment when this person that worked for him full time was at a, was at her therapist. Oh. And so they put me in his office. And it was very old school. His office was usually closed. And, you know, I, I had my chores to do. I had what to do. Uh, and if you needed to contact him, there was, you know, remember that, remember that button that you would push that buzzer button next to the phone yes. that would ring inside the office and he'd pick yeah. up like an intercom. It's funny. <laughs> so a call would come in and, you know, he would, he would tell me usually how to handle phone calls, but this, this individual, uh, I don't remember what his name was, had to, I mean, he, he, he gave me enough information for me to like, at least buzz this guy's office and say, Hey, this guy was on the phone is, you know, this guy's on the phone. Well, there must've been a reason for this executive not calling back this individual because he told me over the, you know, over the intercom, he said, go tell him to himself. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, now I know why she's at the shrink. Um, <laughs> um, so I, you know, I translated to that to, well, you know, he's in a meeting, you know, he's out of his office. Oh, that again. Right. It's like, right. There, there must've been a reason why this gentleman was waiting to hear from this executive. So that was, you know, you're there. It's a job. Right. You just happen to work for extremely high profile people. Yeah. Um, and then there was this other guy who was in charge of special projects. He, you know, he, you know, he was working on a script or, or something and he had people in his office and he yelled outside his door and he goes, Hey, Roger, give me, I, I need, I need the name of, uh, of, of a woman, a, a woman's name, a female name begins with W. And, you know, I, I said, Wilma, and he, oh, I don't want that. And I said, um, Wanda, perfect, thank you. 
didn't get screen. I didn't get credit. Didn't didn't no credits. No no breaking. No nothing. I don't even know what it went into. I I don't even know. Okay, so he just needed a name for something. He just needed a name for something, and so it's like, okay, you know, it's like. So we we just I mean like flies on the wall. We just we were in and out of offices doing, you know, just we were just doing our job. We were just trying to help out. But these people had strong personalities. Some of them were infectious positively, where you just, you loved being around them. Yeah. Others, eh, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just, and I didn't, I didn't tell the department this story that I'm telling you because <laughs> why should I? It, it's, it's just, it's part of the job. Right. Um, even today, I'm, the job that I do today, um, it you know you work with all kinds of people, and you know they're just people. That's they're just like you and me. And I I think also, and again, this is you know I, again I got to come up with some kind of uh, something, but 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 you know there's as my dad said, there's no substitute for experience. So even though you you as a page might have said. I don't want to go answer phones in some guy's office, or I don't want to go do this. By doing those jobs, they're always a learning experience. And, exactly. you know, and by being there as, as, as crappy as the job may be, having a big wig, you know, tell you to, to tell some guy to bleep themselves, you know, that as a 20 year old or whatever, you know, that may have been your first experience of like, Oh, like, I've never had it. And it was. Yeah. Okay. It was. So that even, you know, and again, this is why, you know, I really believe that, you know, all the folks that want to work from home and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, being with people and, and putting in that time and doing the real crap work, like, and I could give you a list of (laughs) list of crap work that I've done. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, there's a learning experience in all of that stuff. So as you know, so as crappy as it is, believe it or not, there's a good learning experience from it. And 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 really you you know, people should get exposed to it because you know, all of those all of those collective experiences help shape you and give you experience to maybe deal with something, you know, a different way or better maybe in the future. So it really is, um, you know, it was, it's, it's just, you know, there were plenty of those things that, that as bad as they were, they were still good. If you could look for the positive in, in doing a shitty job, you know, doing something that may, that people may not really love. Well, yeah. And, and, and and, I mean, it, it truly was, I mean, I, 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 I had heard kind of questionable stories about, um, this one executive. Um, so I, I kind of knew that he could kind of like come up with stuff like out of the blue that you wouldn't be expecting. Um, Very volatile personality, but because of the job he had and because of the person that he worked for, he was under an enormous amount of, of pressure. Right. Um, And in fact, when Brandon left, this guy took his position and Mm -hmm. he was no Brandon Tartikoff. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember once and I, and I won't mention any of the names, but I was in makeup with, a talent in New York, a very well-known talent, trying to get them to do something, and you know, from from my boss, and that very famous talent literally said, 
you know, why don't you go tell so-and-so to go blank himself? Yeah, yeah. And, and my reaction was just what you said. I was like, okay, well, listen, could you just do this, you know? And yeah, I would go yeah. back to the person that asked and I'd be like, well, you know, they're very excited to do the job, you know? And, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of funny because you would never think that they would that they would say that. But, you know, they, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, again, God bless all this stuff because they have so much stuff going on that, um, you know, uh, to their credit, you know, and like I said, you know, it's, it's very hard to be, a, you know, business, you know, do, do the business side, the entertainment side, all those aspects of, of career advancement and, and all that other stuff. It's, it's not an easy job, but, but it, but it does take a lot of work. And if you can master it, you can, you know, become very successful. So you know, shout out to all those guys, to everyone that's done that. So is there anything else uh, before we wrap up? Is there anything else that we didn't touch on or anything else you wanted to, to mention? Um, I, I know there's one thing, Maybe we talked, you know, just sort of fast forwarding to today's world that we live in um, as far as, you know, streaming and content. And I I have my own take on that. Um, you know, the the good old days of working for NBC. Matter of fact, the, it was funny. I had somebody post, you know, I posted, you know, some of the uh, some other of the podcasts and someone wrote on one of the things said said they were listening to a podcast with their child. And the child said, what are we listening to, dad? And the dad was like, this is when I was a page. And then shockingly, the the the, the child was like, what is a page? And then like, yeah. well, a page, you know, how, the, how the child didn't know the father was a page. But then it was like, I worked for NBC. And the child was like, what is NBC? <laughs> and he's like, it's the network that we watch. It's Channel 4. And they're like, oh, right. like they really didn't know. So the world, you know, back in the day when you said you worked for NBC, it was a big deal. Now, you know, all bets are off. So what what are your thoughts on the streaming and just things? And, and well, I'll so say because I'm I'm sort of in the mix of it too, but but what are your thoughts on that? Just just as a quick sidebar, <clears throat> it which is like really technical and really minutia, but it it brings it brings about a point. I don't I don't remember what it what it took, but uh, I worked in affiliate relations during my tenure at NBC. And when you go from town to town, NBC usually is on a different station, right? Yeah. Well, back in the day, mark mark me if I'm wrong, but pretty much every city that you would go to when you wanted to watch the national broadcasting company, you would always turn on channel four and it would always be there because the network did not want you to lose touch of your favorite programs. So I don't think it's that way today, but you know, in the seventies and eighties, NBC to the best of my knowledge was always channel four. Right. Um, and, yeah. And, and also to that point, I guess when I was there, um, Bob Wright was the president of WN of NBC yep, at the time. Yep. yep and yep, I believe yep. that Bob Wright, and I, I, I may be misremembering mis this, but he put the NBC bug, uh, either he burned it in or something. I forget exactly what the deal was. This was, again, before a lot of this is very common, but he specifically was like, we need to brand our shows with the he bug. He pioneered that. I think he pioneered uh, that. Okay, there you go. So so because he was like, when people tune it, they, you know, like 
you know, in the future, when there's a million cable stations, that's um, right. You know, we want people to what find am I watching? Content. Right. Right. So to nowadays, you know, everybody does that. But but yeah, so um, it's interesting you heard that because that's when I was there. I remember seeing it and and having a conversation like, oh, we're doing this. That'd now, be a, so. a translucent image. Right. Of, of you know, the the the, the peacock oh, for right. channel four, the eye, you know, for CBS. Right. You know, it, it and and that and then, you know, that blew up into all kinds of other stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, I think Bob Wright for marketing purposes and, you know, for visitors who didn't know what they were watching or when there were 6,523 channels on right. to your point as cable, you know, became into the fold, um, you wanted, you wanted to know what you were watching because you didn't necessarily know what channel was what you wanted to see. Right. Wow. So yeah, there's, I'm, I, you know, I, I think. I think we covered it all. I think, you know, there's, there's nuances and, and, and stuff. Um, I got to drive when I was working for corporate events. Uh, you know, I worked at the Lake Arrowhead Hilton Lodge um, where Brandon wanted me to set up uh, his tennis match, his foursome, uh, but they needed me with a car. And so <clears throat> the, uh, the property, the, the um, Lake Arrowhead Hilton, the Lake Arrowhead Hilton Lodge gave me a Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, which was Neil Diamond's car when he was in the area. They would give him a car. Okay. And that was cool. I mean, that was, you know, it's like, wow, man, Neil I'll, Diamond drove this car. I'll I'll finish that up with I'll finish I'll I'll finish the the, the podcast up with one interesting story about a car because you just reminded me of something. When we did the WNBC uh image campaign for New York, we were going to have the um we were going to have the chopper a film chopper which was uh had al cirillo <clears throat> if you google al cirillo i know um, that name yeah so if you look at any major motion picture al cirillo was the helicopter pilot like this guy oh yes legendary. that's yeah yeah, yeah 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 so he shot all of the wnbc um helicopter stuff that we did and then i actually worked at wcbs as well and i went up with him uh to shoot film for WCBS as well. But when we were shooting film with Al Cirillo, I they wanted to get a shot of the WNBC like news truck, you know, like the, yeah. the, 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 the big satellite truck. Yeah. So again, talk about, again, I'm like 23 years old. What the hell do I know? They're like, they're like, here's the keys to a probably $300,000 truck. You know, here, <laughs> here it is. It was a, it was, yeah, it was a brand new truck. And I get in and basically, and again, I'm not really familiar with driving in New York and anything else, but I'm, but they said, we want you to go across the George Washington bridge, but drive across the top and we're going oh. yeah, to take the helicopter and follow you as you drive across the, the, the top of this bridge. Now I'm sitting here. There were two things. One is I'm, I'm driving this, this van and back then, and this again was 30 years ago, I had a pager and a cell phone. Yes. With, you know, before the world had these yes. cell phones. Yes. So I'm driving this this thing with a, with a pager and a cell phone trying to communicate with the helicopter. I remember I stopped at a stoplight and there was a whole rack of machines, like these big, you know, $100,000 machines. I kid you not. Um, and I think I told the story before, but I, I stopped at the stoplight and the, the, the whole machine 
flew Elf out of the rack <laughs> oh and started God. rolling down the 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 back of the van to my where yeah. my seat was. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, put the I put it in park and I'm like pushing this thing and I'm like, whatever. So I'm like, you know, freaking out. And now I have to go to the top of the George Washington Bridge. To be honest with you, I don't think I've ever driven on the George Washington Bridge before. Maybe, yeah. you know, I don't know. So I'm driving and they're like, okay, I'm talking. And somehow I took the lower level. So I'm now on the lower level where you really can't see the van. You and lost. I got a helicopter following me. Where'd he go? You know, yeah, it was just, and again, you know, which again, I'm so, these crazy stories would never have happened to me in my life if I hadn't been an NBC page. Like, like some of the craziest things have happened um, because of it. And again, even just listening to you, like there's so many crazy things that have happened to you and everybody else that, that are just, you know, mind boggling. So in any case, I can't thank you enough. This is so fascinating. Your stories were, were terrific. Oh, my um, pleasure. You know, and I really, yeah, I think, I think people are going to love hearing all your stories. Um, so thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we'll catch, we'll connect soon. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks. Thanks for tuning in folks. Okay, thanks so much. Okay, good night, folks. Take it easy. Good night. Take care. Be well. Thanks for listening to A Page in History. A Page in History is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhcats.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.